Thank you, Judy. That was beautiful. We are in Second Kings tonight as we look at Elisha as Elijah is taken from him up into heaven and uh, entitled this message, Passionate Commitment. It's about how important it is to have a passion. So when you find that Second Kings chapter 2, I encourage you to stand in God's honor. As I read from the text. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha. Stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live. I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry land. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elijah replied, Elisha replied, You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elisha went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel... And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Let's pray. God, thank you for this account that reminds us, Father, there are things worth living for. And until we understand that there are things worth living for, there's really nothing worth dying for. But thank you, Father, that there is a connection, Lord. When we're ready to die, we're ready to live. Father, you supply passion from you that makes life worthwhile. And I pray tonight as we look at this account, Lord, may you speak to our hearts about the importance of passion. In your name we pray. Amen. Passion is more than just a worship service. 
it's more than music that moves your emotions deeply and brings tears to your eyes. It's more than only Bible reading, although obviously that is very crucial. It's more than prayer, although obviously prayer is part of passion. Passion cannot be summed up in a single experience. It it cannot be confined to a specific time and then be lost. Passion is something that goes beyond us. It is more than an experience that comes to us. It is an experience that begins to move through us. Because you see, when passion becomes a part of our lives, it's something that cannot be kept secret. It is something that flows from us. In other words, it always moves out to others. Passion is directed to the Lord and it is shown to people as He is in our lives and moves through our lives for His glory. And, and, and tonight, as, as I look at this, I want to look at three areas here. First area is He refused to be distracted. It was difficult for him. It was painful for him. He knew that day Elijah would leave. And he had been his servant, his attendant. He had been, uh, Elijah was Elisha's mentor. And yet he knew the day had finally arrived. But he was not going to be distracted. Three times we read here, I will not leave you. Three times he made it clear, I'm your servant. I'm I'm to attend to you. I'm going to be by your side to the last moment. You can count on me, Elijah. He refused to be distracted, although there were all these other distractions. And it's that way in life. There are always other things to draw our attention away from what really matters. It's easy to lose sight of, of God and His mission for us. And by the way, missionaries are not just someone who goes to the other side of the world. We're all missionaries. God, when He calls us to Himself, He then calls us to serve and to carry out His message through the gifts that He has given to us. And that creates a passion when we find out the way that we're designed and God flows through our lives. Then it it fulfills us, gives us a passion. And what happens to us is we simply lose sight of who we are and whose we are. And, And thus we lose that fire. I want to read to you, these are eight quotes, or a whole bunch of quotes of Christian leaders who had shared uh, where their passion stems, uh, the source of it. And uh, Here's one, Oswald Chambers. Many of you, like me, through the years I've read his devotional, my utmost for his highest, great devotional. The thing that makes a missionary is the sight of what Jesus did on the cross and to have heard him say, Go. That is so true. I think that we, from time to time, have to go back to the cross. And and see the cross, and see His sacrifice, and listen for His voice. Next one, Daniel Niles. I didn't realize he was the guy that said this until I found this list. Evangelism is witness. It is one beggar telling another beggar where to get food. People who think that Christians are just always looking down and saying, oh, I don't know why they can't live as good as I live. That's not the point at all. The point is we need God's mercy and we need His grace and we need His forgiveness and I need it just like you. I'm trying to say to you, God showed me 
His grace. And I want you to see it. I want you to find it. Right, here's another one. Um, Robert Weiler. This is back up from 1891. He was a student in the movement of missions. Let us come to the churches, having as our theme the highwayman's motto, your money or your life, saying the needs are so great, the command so urgent, we've given our lives, will you give your money? So here's the passion. He says, hey, this is money, but it's more than that. It's everything. C.T. Studd uh, wrote this in 1883. I had known about Jesus dying for me, but I'd never understood that. If he had died for me, then I did not belong to myself. Redemption means buying back so that if I belonged to him, either I had to be a thief and keep what wasn't mine, or else I had to give up everything to God. When I came to see that Jesus had died for me, it didn't seem hard to give up all for him. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make him. You see, the distractions push us away from these truths, but when we see this clearly again, there erupts a fire in us. Here's from Dr. Bob Pierce. This is the guy that originally started Samaritan's Purse. And of course, the reins were given over to Franklin Graham, but Pierce wrote, when considering the needs of missions, don't fail to do something just because you can't do everything. Others have done so much with so little, while we have done so little with so much. And this next one may be my favorite. It's from a South Sea Islander who proudly displayed his Bible to a World War II a soldier. The soldier looked at him and said, we've outgrown that sort of thing. The native smiled back. It's a good thing we haven't. If it wasn't for this book, you'd have been a meal by now. God changes His children. He's, he's making us into the image of Christ. Hudson Taylor, you all have heard of the great missionary. I used to ask God to help me. Then I asked if I might help him. I ended up asking him to do his work through me. There, there's a passion that, that occurs when we get our eyes where they should be focused. Um, one last one. This is Theodore Williams of India. We face a humanity that is too precious to neglect. We know a remedy for the ills of the world too wonderful to withhold. We have a Christ too glorious to hide. We have an adventure too thrilling to miss. The passion, it should just come out of us. When we remember, hey, we're forgiven. When we remember that there are others that need to know that there's hope after this life and that there's a meaning to this life now and it's in Christ Jesus. And, and from that, we, we need to... To focus so we're not distracted. Now, next, not only distracted, the next part here, there is a dedication that comes from the passion. He stuck by Elijah's side to the end. He was the servant. Uh, matter of fact, as you go back to the end of 1 Kings 19, start out as you, as you read 1 Kings 19, and Elijah's running away. <laughs> He's tired, and then there's that famous passage where he's in the cave, and, and he hears that he's not alone. And then as you move to the end of the chapter, that's where you meet Elisha. And Elisha, uh, he's weary, and he comes and he finds a, a friend. He, he finds someone to help him. And I love the way it ends, this chapter. 
Uh, look at the very last sentence. It says of Elisha. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. You know, it's interesting as you read from this point on. You read about Elijah and you read about his works. And you, you read about how he, he, he serves God and, and, and God uses him. But you really don't read the rest of what remains of kings. You don't read about Elisha, his servant, his attendant. Elisha's job was to help Elijah. Elisha's job was to encourage Elijah. Elisha's job was not to be in the spotlight at that time. Elisha's job was not to be the hero. He was to help the hero. He was to encourage the hero. He was to be the one by his side. And I praise God and I thank God for those people who are able to serve in the background. Who don't need a lot of attention. Who don't need uh, their names called often and, and that you know they don't need a lot of maintenance. As a friend of mine says uh, about some church members, he calls it changing diapers. Because there's just always something that is wrong. Instead of just a, a simple love for God and people, it's always a problem. And, but, but, but the point here, he had a passion just to serve. He was there for Elijah. And sometimes it is difficult. Sometimes it is not easy. Sometimes you want to give up, but there's no record that he ever let Elijah down. There's no record that he ever deserted him, but he was faithful to be there. Uh, you know, we've all heard the 80-20 principle that says um, 20% of the people do 80% of the work in a church. Oh, no, 20% of the people do the work and 80% of the people watch them do the work. <laughs> I don't know what percentages are and all that with church work. But I do know it's a blessing, the people who are dedicated and the people that serve, and the people that have a heart for God. And that happens as we catch sight of why we're here, who saved us, who loves us, who needs us. It happens when we begin to grow to the point where we take our eyes off of ourselves and are able to look up and out. And when we're able to look up and out, God is able to move. And, and there's a passion that is instilled. Uh, read this about dedication. I just thought it was funny, so I had to share it. I, I found out in ancient Greek culture, it was a way that they handled politics so they wouldn't have to be so disgruntled. Oh, man, you know, we all love to complain about politics in American culture, regardless of, you know, what party you're affiliated with we can all complain and throw rocks and everything well they had a way to make sure that there wasn't all this wackiness that seems to go on in politics what they would do <laughs> is they would introduce the lawmakers uh, while they were bringing their laws before the people they stood on a platform with a rope around their necks if the law passed the rope was removed if the law failed the platform was removed so there was a lot of pressure. You had to be sure that that was a good law. 
that the people were going to go for. All right, one last one here uh, in this message. Like Elijah, we need to experience a sense of destiny. As you look in 2 Kings chapter 1, you see, Elisha stays by his mentor. He stays by the one he is called to serve. But through this, he realized that God had his hand on him and that there was a sense of destiny that God was preparing him for something. And and that kept him moving. Even though he knew that Elijah would be taken from him, he knew that that did not mean that his service to God was going to end. He understood that his service to God was not dependent merely on the one he served, that is Elijah. It was dependent on the one they served, which is the Lord God. And in that process, he understood that his role was much bigger than the part he now had. And that is an important part of a passion, is understanding that what we have now is not all there is. That God has a blessing for us. When I say a blessing, I'm not talking merely about money or or something that um, may be convenient for us. That may be part of it. But the point is, He has a blessing for us because He wants to reveal Himself to us. And there's a sense of destiny in that understanding that God has me here for a reason. I love that Jeremiah 29, 11, You know, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. You, you see, there's a sense of, man, there's a reason I'm here. God wants to do something. He wants to work in my life. Um, and as you think about the baseball players in the minor league, and they get on that bus, man, and they travel all over the place, and... They do not make a lot of money, some rough conditions. What's the whole point? They believe they're going to make it to the major leagues. I mean, they're looking ahead. They're looking for something bigger. They believe in their ability and their talent, and, and so they, they go through that, believing they'll arrive the next step up. Of course, I think of Kurt Warner, the quarterback. Uh, you know, at one point he was uh, working in a grocery store, bagging groceries and stocking shelves. Then he was in the Arena Football League. Then he ended up in the NFL and became a quarterback and went to some Super Bowls. He, he was ready, though. In that time, he's in the grocery store, and he, instead of pouting and feeling sorry for himself, he continued to hone his skills. He continued to work because there was within him a sense of, there's something out there. You know, there's a chance for me. Hey, it's much bigger. We can talk about athletes. But for the child of God... Hey, sometimes those athletes don't make it. But for you and me, He made it for us. See? And and, and so from that, there's a heart for God. But that heart for God goes up and then it goes out. Touches lives. I I close with this story uh, from a a guy named um, Erwin McManus. Uh, He was to speak to college students, several thousand at a resort in northern Florida. And it's also kind of like a vacation because it was such a beautiful area. And But uh, just before the time for the event, there was a storm that came through the area caused quite a bit of damage. And so the beach wasn't at the best, uh, you know, the best for a vacation. But anyway, at their free time, they, he went out to the... Uh, it was he and his wife and his two kids, but he went out to the beach with his youngest son, who was 10 years old. His name's Aaron. And 
As they began to walk, uh, he turned and he noticed this guy. Kind of a rough-looking character. But what really caught his eye as he walked on the beach was he was a double amputee. He didn't have any legs. He had these special special crutches. And as he was walking on the beach, it was hard for him to maneuver in the sand, and so he fell down. He didn't say anything. Irwin said he, he moved away on purpose, and he moved his 10-year-old away from the scene because, quite honestly, he didn't want to have to deal with it. He thought, maybe, maybe if I don't look, you know. And uh, then he heard the, the guy again. He, they happened to turn, and he fell again. He said, uh, son, let's go this way. And his 10-year-old son, Aaron, said, Dad, I've got to help this guy. <laughs> and he's like, oh, no, you know, now I'm the big hypocrite. You know? And so his son took off, and, and I'm going to read uh, from this point. He says, I wish I could say I simply wasn't thinking, but the problem was that I was. I knew if I turned to my right, I would have to do something. So I turned to my left. I gently placed my arm on my son's shoulder, turned him away, began talking to him to distract him from the scene below. But he said, I've got to help the man. So I said, go help him. Several thoughts racing through my mind. I had been caught was one of them. (laughs) Yet at this point, it wasn't I was unwilling to go. It was just clear Aaron's moment was here. I miss mine. His compassion moved him to heroism. While Aaron seized his divine moment, I was stuck in a moment I couldn't get out of. I watched my 10-year-old son run across the beach and without explanation begin to pick the man up. I had to wonder what the man was thinking when this little boy grabbed him and his crutch and tried to pull him up. I watched as the crowd turned and saw Aaron's futile effort to help the man back to the hotel deck. Almost immediately, I watched the crowd move toward Aaron and the man. Someone picked up the crutches while others reached down and picked up the man. The group moved as if they were one unit, committed to helping the man complete his journey. After the group helped him return to the hotel deck, Aaron came running to me with tears in his eyes. He looked at me with his innocent conclusion. I I couldn't help him. I wasn't strong enough. He couldn't see that no one would have helped the man if he had not taken the initiative. My sense of shame was overwhelmed by my deep sense of pride in who my son was becoming. I explained to Aaron that his strength carried the man. It was because of him that others came to his aid. He wants us to turn that passion into ministry, which will give us a sense of destiny as we serve him. Let's pray. Father, uh, Father, remind us of Calvary and remind us of our call. Remind us of your compassion and remind us to be compassionate. Remind us, Father, that it's never been about what we deserve. It's always been about your love. And Lord, others need to, well, they need to see that. And so, Father, like 10-year-old Aaron, help us, Lord. It's easy for us to just turn our back. I'm guilty too. But Father, uh, help us. uh, Give us that burden to say, I've got to help that man. I've got to help that woman. Jesus, give that passion to us. That's how ministries are started. That's how lives are changed. 
when one steps out and goes and others see that passion and join aboard and lives are touched. We need that, God. I need that. Thank you, Father, for Elisha. Thank you for those servants that are willing to serve. And Father, just speak to us about what you want of us, Lord. We love you. We need you. In this time that we sing, Father, deal with us and what you want. In your name we pray. Amen.